Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my adorable refrigerator tongue fetus, Scott Daly. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of face-hugging fetus eye, dorky yet surprisingly loyal mercenaries, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue arc 11, Blinding, with 11.6 and 11.7. Victoria, Rain, and company continue through the sewer to Love Lost's place, where they get some intel, some money, some drugs, and, for Parian, some neat nose fetuses. Then the gang battle begins in earnest with the capes taking on Nursery, Lord of Loss, and his whole gang of powered and non-powered people. Matt, what did you think about these two chapters? Well, this this is uh, horror. This is just horror. Yep. <laughs> um, it's it's great. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about, about how um, we were just delighted at how disturbing this was, um, which is which is a, a strange mental space to be in, but... You're, you know, you're, you're, you're reading it and you're grossed out and disturbed and simultaneously kind of gleeful at the fact that it's affecting you that much. Um, just yeah, really I fun. mean, yep. the, the act of reading this actually made me sick. So uh-huh. um, I've been sick for the past three days and it's all because of these words. Yeah, it's interesting um, because Weld, <laughs> Weld uh, potentially dumping Sveta made me sick. Uh, and apparently uh, it took nose fetuses to make you sick. So we're both susceptible to different things. And then, then of course, there's the mixed in with this horror is is a really awesome cape fight. So, um, you know, a a lot of action, a lot of uh, imagery in these chapters. Um, Yeah. Not basically, yeah, these aren't going to be chapters where where we're necessarily, I think, drilling down into like, character interactions on a, on a microscopic level because the thing to focus on in these chapters the things the chapters are mostly trying to convey are are kind of the um the tension the uh tension is almost not a strong enough word just the insane level of of horror that that, that is that is pervasive in these scenes yeah i completely agree with that and, you know, I mean, whenever we get to like heavy battle chapters, I think we always say this thing and this might be a shorter episode than normal. And by shorter, I mean, like just slightly under two hours instead right. of over two hours. But um, there's a there's a lot of subtextual stuff going on here, too, that I, I really want to dive into. I'm really continually fascinated by the the rain Victoria relationship and a lot of the unsaid stuff that appears to be going on with Victoria's feelings towards rain. I think we're going to dive into that uh, specifically a few times as we go through these two chapters. So still a lot to talk about, even though there's just a lot of cool slash creepy action. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. There's not, it's not that there's not a lot going on in the character level. It's uh, it's more like that is backgrounded, yeah. but uh, we're going to talk about it anyway, because that's kind of the point. Um, yeah, so let's get on into it. As, as everyone probably recalls, we decided that we are going to keep doing the discussion questions section, but we're going to move it to the end of the podcast. So right now we're just going straight into chapter 11.6. Yeah. And this chapter begins with Victoria focusing on Nursery's discordant music box ambience uh, <laughs> as musical accompaniment. And she's thinking about like uh, how she it's been a long time since she since she used musical accompaniment in her cape life and how she used to wear headphones and i just love this kind of wordplay where where she's thinking mom i put a stop to that situational awareness was too important she'd said and then like a paragraph later 
situational awareness was in full effect now. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, I, I love that because it's not, it's not exactly saying like I'm scared shitless, but it's conveying I'm scared shitless. Right, right. I, I, I really love it. Like I love the the ambiance of starting the chapter off with this creepy music. Like you said at the beginning of the show, these are horror chapters. The that's the tone they're going for here mixed in with the action. And we start that off with this creepy nursery music. And it's just like, we kind of get what we're doing immediately with that. Yeah. I'm glad you pulled out the, the Carol reference here specifically though, because you know, ever since we had that one comment a few weeks ago that was talking about, you know, um, that Victoria's relationship with her mother is like kind of two sided where, when she remembers her doing mom things, it's usually in anger. But when, when she remembers her doing um, coaching slash uh, prepping for superhero-ness or advice or guidance in that regard, it's usually not uh, attached to a, a real kind of resentment um, because she she actually, I think, on some level values her mom's cape advice. Um, it fits into her whole nerdy cape things. And this is kind of in the middle for me, right? Because like, like the, the phrase mom had put a stop to that. There's a little feeling of resentment in like in the subtext of that to me. Yeah, right. Just the phrasing of it. Right. Because it could have been like mom had suggested that I stop that because it was dangerous. But it was no, yeah. it's mom. It's almost saying like mom put her foot down and and came down hard on me or whatever. Like it's, yeah. it's got a kind of finality and, and forcefulness to it. Yeah. And, and, and the, the way the second sentence is written as well, situal, situal awareness was too important, she'd said. I just feel like it'd be so different if, if the sentence was she'd said situal, situal awareness was too important. Like the she'd said being put on the end of that chapter, like makes makes you really think that, like, this is not something I actually believed at the time and maybe don't really buy into right now. Yeah, that's that's great, because I, I almost want to take like a writing exercise where I write that like pair of sentences, like seven different ways to try to see how many different subtextual <laughs> things I can convey using practically the same words. Cause like you're exactly right that it's difficult for me to even for us to even pin down why, like what, there's no particular word in the sentence that is making me think that this is a, a memory of Victoria, of, of, of Carol being stern, but it absolutely comes across. Yeah. Um, in, in, I think I think it's how the sentences are broken up, like you said. Right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty and pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's kind of what I love about what language can do sometimes is you can convey that information with you don't have to draw specific attention to it. It's just kind of there and how you write that, how you write and organize uh, and punctuate the sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing before we move on, though, I like here that uh, Victoria refers to Glory Girl in the third person here mm -hmm. when she says Glory Girl had worn headphones for a little while. She hadn't been one to have back and forth with the small fry she was taking down. And this is like not the first time Victoria's like othered Glory Girl as a different person, but she's not consistent with it. Right. Sometimes she she says specifically when I was Glory Girl, she's when Glory Girl was me. She takes ownership of that um, of that personality of that part of her life and sometimes she kind of otherizes it and i just like that 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 inconsistency kind of goes back and forth to me it's like a great way to represent her ever-changing conflicted uncertainty about her identity of who she is and it's just fun that you can you can send that uh feeling out to your readers just via that the changing nature of how she looks at her past yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you that that it's for one thing, it's it's communicating this idea that she's waffling back and forth on how she views her past self. 
And, and I think also it's an indicator of like in this moment, she feels like she's a different person than she used to be. Um, and maybe in other moments, she doesn't actually feel that way. She she identifies with that person. And, and I think it's you, you could probably just kind of dig into that forever. Th- th- this idea that uh, depending on the context, depending on the mood, even she might she might literally view that that old self as a different person for all kinds of reasons. Like she essentially had a different flesh body back then for one thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree that that's a, that's a great touch that stood out to me too. Yeah. Great. So yeah, Victoria warns the team not to touch the walls as they race down the storm drain tunnel. She explains, uh, some of nursery's power and she says, yeah, it's a true reality overwrite. It, it's a strong, like really strong shaker power. It's probably more like labyrinth than anything that we've seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've really seen any shakers that are quite this, um, uh, I, I don't know, just thorough in what they're doing. Uh, but she hesitates to tell the group what happens if you touch the walls and the heartbroken are downright offended that she would think that anything could scare them. Yeah. And, and one of the things we're doing here is we're playing this, this very slow buildup to the reveal of what nursery's power actually is, um, which really helps increase like the tension and horror and, and fear that the readers have for what the hell this is going to be. Um, but but the thing that I, I find most interesting here is we, we it, it leads this this accusation that the heartbroken are going to be afraid leads to this horrible story from them about like d- details into what their father used to do to them. Fear for breakfast, they say. Anytime he wanted them to be, leave him alone, they made them deathly afraid. Anytime they wanted them to do chores or do something for him, uh, they made them as happy as a kid on Christmas morning is the way they describe it. It's just emotional manipulation that basically serves as mind control and the text notes that it makes victoria's skin crawl she's so disturbed by it and of course that makes sense because that's you know losing control of her own decision making process losing control of her emotional you know thought processes something um that victoria would have a serious problem with so it makes sense that it makes her skin crawl but this is like to like this is the first beat to me in in many throughout this chapter where we're we're exploring Victoria being very disturbed or annoyed or angry about emotion, emotional manipulating powers. Um, well, all of them, but, but her own that is, which is, which is the weird thing that we see throughout this chapter is she's continually annoyed at the heartbroken emotional power. She gets angry at rain for his powers, um, is relatively, uh, un- unaware or unquestioning about her role in, you know, uh, her emotional powers inflict affecting other people. Yeah. She seems quite blind to it. And I think it's, a, it's like a motivated kind of blindness, honestly, because she doesn't want to face up to the consequences of, of thinking about it. I, I really like that you pulled out that, uh, the fact that her skin crawled when the heartbroken were telling their story, because I mean, she's the only one at this point who knows how creepy her situation is. She's running down yeah. this, this like already creepy storm drain that's gradually transforming into a creepy nursery that she knows there's, organic fetus monsters on the other side of the wall. And the thing that makes her skin crawl isn't the situation she's in. It's hearing a story about somebody using emotion manipulation slash mind control on someone. And that's the perfect way of underlining how, how sensitive this character is to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. While also kind of highlighting how like mentally tough she is otherwise. Right. Cause I would be shitting my pants if I were in her situation. Yeah, that's um, true. 
but she's she's just like yeah i mean we're gonna we, we got a problem solve problem solve our way out of it yeah um yeah so victoria elaborates she's kind of like doling out the information <laughs> to everyone in tiny chunks she elaborates that there are living things behind the walls uh, if you accidentally break through them but she still withholds the worst bit and won't really say like what the living things are yeah and like i said this is us kind of slowly ramping up the tension and the fear and the uncertainty around this power i i, I like like we're gonna get into this in a bit but i like that not only is this doled out to us the audience for r- reasons of tension but i i like that the when we get to the in universe in story explanation for why Victoria is not just telling them what's going on, I think it's very satisfying, um, and it doesn't just feel like a, a narrative contrivance to to make us more afraid. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if there's a right place to talk about this, so I might as well talk about it now. The, the idea that um, uh, nursery's power has been planted in our head as something to be worried about since the first arc, since the first handful of chapters. Um, We, we had Victoria go into her domain. Uh, Everything is super, super creepy. Uh, There's squelching things inside, inside little baby prams and rose colored light and just all kinds of creepiness. And then she just says, fuck this and books it. (laughs) <laughs> and and that's like and, and that's been just like gestating in our mind like some sort of horrible fetus uh, for months now. And and so I, I, it's really interesting because like I have no idea how much that's actually influencing my level of anticipation on the one hand, but also kind of dread um, in finding yeah. out what what is going on here exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, it, it's kind of it's interesting because this fight in general is almost like a full circle thing, right? We, you're, you're at like love law or not love loss, sorry, Lord of loss and nursery are two characters that we met at the very beginning of the story. It's the first Kate battle was against these two and some others, but, but, but these two, um, and now we've kind of come full circle and, and we left that battle with like, you know, I'm not going to call it like a, a begrudging respect, but like they definitely were not like going to actually like, hurt each other like they were still it was still very much in the parameters of the old cops and robbers game right um and now we're 11 arcs later and and we're gonna have this big battle between them and it certainly seems like that is less so now um it seems it's more chaotic more disgusting more disturbing more intense more dangerous um than it was you know 10 arcs ago and i think that circling back and fighting these same two people again kind of demonstrates how bad things have gotten since the story started. Yeah. You know, there's another symmetry here, which is that in that fight, she was fighting snag and, and, and maybe the hardest part for her about that fight was that he kept hitting her with these emotion blasts that were bringing back to her, uh, loss, you know, the, this idea of loss snags, not here cause snags dead, but rain is here. And now she is struggling a little bit with this, with, with his presence, basically with, with, with his, with his flickering of his emotion power, that's annoying yeah. her. And I, I can't help but think that that's an intentional parallel. We've got Lord of Loss, we've got nursery and we've got somebody from the mall cluster poking her in the eye with emotion powers. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, that's, I think that's there on purpose. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, remember we, 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 segmented these this team off right like victoria went with rain for a reason <laughs> like yeah. we didn't we didn't just pair them off just oh it'd be fun if we paired them off um we're doing a lot of stuff with that yeah absolutely 
so Brain is doing a lot of tinker, tinker scanning in these chapters. Uh, he's using tech that is either borrowed from or adapted from um, Kinsey's or, or and, and probably also Chris's, he, he hints. Um, I just wanted to kind of point this out because tinker scanning is a, a thing we know that tinkers can do, but he's just like constantly doing that in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, it's something new for him. And I, I think like one of the reasons why we split off Victoria with Rain is because we're going to zoom in on Rain a little bit here in this in these few chapters. And one of the things we're doing is seeing him take a more involved, active, responsible role in the things that are going on, or at least we're allowing Victoria to see these things, because I think we're going to talk about this a little later. But one of the things that has happened is Rain like had his big moment early in the book in arc five ish, I think it was, um, and then he's kind of drifted to the background of the team since then. And and this team up allows both Victoria and us to kind of zoom in on him and check up with him and see how he's doing um, and see. And, and part of what we get to see is that he's being more involved. He's being more active, like throughout both of these chapters. He does a lot of stuff, you know, both in the fighting and just in quick thinking, problem solving outside of the combat itself. Yeah, I think this is great that this is happening. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, like. It's not that it's not that Rain hasn't been a presence in the story, but we've joked a few times recently, and, and even the text kind of jokes like, "Oh, Rain, he's he's just like the the butt of every joke, and yeah. and, and and he sucks," <laughs> like like, and it, it's almost sort of like reached meme status, and like this is the perfect time now to say, "Okay, but Rain's not a meme; he's a character." We're gonna remind everyone that he that like things have been going on with him in the background while Victoria hasn't really been paying too much attention to him. Um, yeah, I think that's great. So uh, while they're making their way through this tunnel, Victoria brings up Rain's uh, egregious overuse of his emotion power. <laughs> uh, so interestingly, he describes it as a shame and regret power, which is interesting because Victoria seems to experience it as like doubt and uncertainty and second guessing. Yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't like correct him though or anything. Right. Like he, she doesn't hear this and go, that's not what I feel when you use it. She just kind of lets that slide. So it could just be like a difference in perception, um, or him not fully understanding it or whatever. Mm. But, but I think this is, this is the introduction of our big thing for these two chapters, right? This is something we've been slowly building up to for the the past arc and a half almost it seems like that oh yeah rain has an emotional aura and he's been using it a lot more lately and um starting to annoy victoria a bit here and i i think like what, what this is doing i think to me um it, it not only is this a way of addressing rain's aura and victoria's frustration with that i think this is kind of possibly maybe a back doorway of discussing Victoria's aura and the things that are going on with that. I think that's where we're going to eventually get to with this possibly because what I find most interesting about this whole thing is that it's, it's not that Victoria's wrong here. I think she's absolutely right. He needs better control of his aura. It's fucking his teammates up a little. Um, but she just seems entirely ignorant of the effect of her aura as a, as a, comes to friendly fire like we, we've consistently throughout the story been given clues by her teammates that her aura isn't quite working the same way that it used to um that that something's changed with it but she seems she, it's like she doesn't really seem interested in exploring that change or figuring out like what's at the bottom of it or how it's actually working and that's very interesting for a cape nerd like victoria that really likes to understand how powers work and and uh what's going on there she's kind of just in, in 
seemingly indifferent. I don't, I think she's consciously avoiding dealing with it. Um, and she's just carrying on using it in the same way she always used it, even though there's some kind of underlying change here that's going on. It's a little different. And I think this is this is our way while also exploring Rain and exploring Victoria and Rain's relationship. It's a way of kind of getting to maybe discussing her aura and what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it took her arcs to like kind of look, look directly at her her wretch um, force field power and and even get to the point where where she would try to use it in ways that weren't just like pretending that it was the same as it used to be and i think with her aura she's actually still in in that place basically still pretending it's the same way it used to be at least when it comes to how she fights and i was thinking about this like um it's hard to imagine because i've never been hit by an emotion manipulation power but like it, it would be really confusing if you were in combat and one of your allies suddenly became extremely terrifying to you. Like th- that would throw you off um, and, and mess up your, your strategy or whatever you were thinking just as much yeah. as, as like suddenly having kind of a vague creeping doubt or, or regret or whatever. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, Victoria doesn't think about the friendly fire implications. She's just like kind of brushes it off usually. Yeah. I think we get one line in the second chapter of this week's where she says, uh, use my aura on the bad guys and minimize its effects on the good guys where she like acknowledges that it is having an effect on her team. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to change her strategy very much, or at least not consciously. She's not, she's not spelling it out in the text. Yeah. Um, especially, especially glaring when we compare like how angry <laughs> she gets at rain, uh, for his, his use of his. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the only instance I can think of where we saw what her power felt like from someone else's point of view was when she uses it on Jessica in her inner in uh, Jessica's interlude um, in Worm. Uh, I can't think of any other instance, but just remembering that it seemed like super distressing to have yeah. it used on you. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm uh, definitely something needs to be paid attention to. Yeah, the only use of it. Um in this story we've seen is or the, the effects have been people explaining to Victoria how it feels. Right. right. Like we had, um, we had Kenzie kind of describe it and we had damsel, the, the gritting her teeth thing last yeah. week, which is like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, we're, we're seeing little hints and, and little bits of information about this thing. Um, I, I would expect us to get some, to, to zoom in on this eventually. And I think this is kind of like, we're dealing with emotional powers a lot here. We've got, I mean, look at, look at our team here. We've got a bunch of heartbroken. We've got rain. We've got Victoria. They're all here. All of them have emotion based powers. We're exploring the idea of emotion based powers right, right here. So, yeah. What's funny is that she is, I don't, I don't know if she actually, um, well, yeah, I think we'll get there in just a second, actually. So I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll save this comment. Um, so they pass through areas that are more thoroughly infested with nursery's power. And there are like huge wet moving things behind the walls. And everything is thudding with a uniform heartbeat. After some sexual innuendo with the heartbroken, which is just so perfectly well placed here. Uh, Victoria confesses that the living things in the walls uh, are full of parasites and they're like, oh, it's going to infect us. And she's like, basically infection. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, first, this is beat number two of chastity identifying well-endowed capes. Um, we're going to see an, another beat of this in the next chapter. But, yeah, uh, this is. So she's lying, right? And and she immediately gets called out on that lie by 
the heartbroken candy. Um, and it, like, it, it's great because like, we're really building up why she is not saying this. And she's, her excuse has been throughout all this time that like, I, I don't want to freak these kids out. I, I don't want to freak these kids out. Um, a little beat here that I, I loved is when Candy calls her out on lying. Her response is fucking fucker emotion readers. The ones who weren't Dean sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and once right. again, that's her kind of segmenting Dean out of out of a thing where I, I have a hard time believing she's that annoyed by emotion readers and never was annoyed by her boyfriend's ability to read her emotions. I'm sure I'm sure that's not true. That's that's him be- kind of back on the pedestal again. Yeah, it's funny because even like Victoria's she it's not like she doesn't swear, but fucking fucker is <laughs> is, is pretty is pretty harsh for her. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what like she's not she's not saying fucking fucker people with emotion powers because that would be her. <laughs> yeah. Right. She's narrowly focusing in on people who can read emotions as if that's somehow worse than what she does. Yeah. 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 And it's so interesting here because like when she gets called out on this, which turns out to just be Candy, you know, making up the fact that she read her via motion powers when she didn't, which is wonderful. But Rain is immediately like, Victoria, what the hell? Like, I need to know what's going on here. Like, I'm trying to like collect data and understand what's going on here. Why? Like, and and it is very, you know, intentionally surprising because Victoria's thing is communicating, right? Is making sure everyone's fully aware of the situation. And she's just really, really holding this one back. And, and we find out here in a few minutes why that is. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this moment actually when rain does kind of snap at her and kind of breaks out of his typical Eeyore fashion of, <laughs> of responding to things Yeah, where he, he he's like, we're, f- we're fighting this enemy. I need to understand. And uh, yeah. Yeah, she's um, like, I'll tell you when we get back home. And I was yeah. like, no, we're like in their territory right now. You you, you can't just say don't touch the walls because something really bad is going to happen. <laughs> I need to understand what that means. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think she's just wrong. Like, like it, I mean, it's, yeah. it, and it certainly kind of turns out to be the case because they end up having to fight uh, nursery and they need yeah. to understand how her power works when that happens. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, she finally comes fully clean after being prodded and accused of lying. Uh, and she tells them that it's impregnation, um, which interestingly, she tells them it's impregnation, but this is actually still really vague. Yeah. Like, like uh. it's, it's, it's just like, okay, so something gets into your body somehow. And, like, it's still vague enough that you, the reader, your imagination just fills in with like the worst possible thing that that could be or look like. Yeah. 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 It's great. Uh, because like we were like, it's, it's, it's almost scarier to be vague about this stuff than it is to just tell the full truth. And her her excuse for not telling the truth here is because she's trying not to scare the heartbroken kids. That's her excuse. We find out here in a second that that's not the real reason. We find out here when, when Rain finally pesters her enough to get in, give in, she says... I didn't want to talk about it because it bothered me. Mm-hmm. It was not it was not just that I didn't want to scare the kids. It's like I didn't want to have to think about this stuff. And again, from Victoria's perspective, um, someone who like drops monstrous fetuses inside you and things that grow inside your body um, probably is something that's very triggering for Victoria. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but, losing bodily autonomy, basically. Right, right. But this is, I mean, this is classic Victoria, right? Like, when things are bothering her and she doesn't want to face them, she pushes them off. She either ignores them uh, or, in this, like, in this case, she refocuses that gis- discomfort el- elsewhere. Um, I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to talk about, I didn't want to think about nursery. Um, so 
the reason for me not doing that is because I don't want to scare the kids. It's the kids. Definitely. There's even though they've told me that they've experienced horrors like so terrible that kids their age have never experienced. I just I don't want to tell it to them. And and I think the great capper on this is at the end of all this, Candy says, I'm a little scared now, not going to lie. So it's like her her efforts to withhold withhold information to not scare them failed so much that that now one of the heartbroken are actually scared. Yeah. Um, but it's just like this is what she does, Matt. Like she 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 doesn't want to deal with something. She pushes it off. She doesn't think about it or she, you know, refocuses that on something else. And like I have to think about the whole weld conversation again that she still has not thought about in her head. Like has, it has not crossed her mind once since that conversation ended. And yes, she's in a little bit of a pickle right now. Her thoughts are focused elsewhere, but I just I still find that very surprising that this big bomb was dropped on her that like made her say fuck like 30 times in a row. Um, and she hasn't focused on that once since then. Yeah, right. And th- there was a brief opportunity last week when she was thinking about like Sveta is over there in that other group. That was all she thought. She didn't think like, oh, man, it was going to be really awkward when I had to talk to her again right. and pretend everything was fine because she doesn't want it. Like, I think her mind flinches away from that. So, yeah, she doesn't think it. she doesn't. It's too it's too uncomfortable. She's really good at avoiding those thoughts. So, yeah, um, she successfully frightened the heartbroken. Uh, just kind of a table setting for the battle that's about to come. Candy describes her power as a hallucination that she can induce that can permanently ruin someone's attachment to things or people. Yeah, it's like that time I ate some pad thai and got really, really sick. And now I never want to eat pad thai ever, <laughs> ever again. I want to throw up just thinking about eating pad thai. Yeah. It's like that. It's just it's like, like that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Candy's power seems uh, awful, Matt, like really yeah. awful. And like we've <laughs> this poor kid, Nathan, that we've gotten these like various beats about how terrible other members of the Heartbroken have been to him. This is the unpowered brother of theirs um, who has gone through all kinds of shit. Uh-huh. Um like we know he was tormented by at least two other members of the group. And now we learn that he got a full dose of this from candy. And, and we know he's like basically non-functional, right? Like he doesn't, he's, he's basically like not, he's alive, but not there. Yeah. Um, I, and what, like he's heartbroken, Matt. <laughs> I, I, I can't actually in my head count up like what beat number this is, but I'm pretty sure that we have <laughs> indeed had two or three beats of, of Nathan, um, being, I, I think he was terror waved by someone in a previous, yeah. yeah he just, yeah. So I, I do wonder if 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 this is just kind of the if this is the joke, like poor Nathan, or if we're setting <laughs> something up. Um, um, it can be both. I yeah. mean, it's a it's a freaking dark joke, but yeah. I mean, like that's 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 what I love about the heartbroken is is we're playing in this area like right in between humor and horror, um, right. And, you know, we, we go over the line one way or the other, but we're, we straddle it constantly. Um, and that's why I think they're, they're just fascinating characters to be around. Yeah, right. It's a super fun and unique tone, this, this idea of ho- horror comedy, basically, that we're hitting here. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of horror, uh, they leave nursery's area <laughs> of influence and they bust through a wall into an empty house using Rain's power. The team fans out through the house and uh, they kind of just loot it. <laughs> yep. They find they find a computer and Rain disarms some minor traps using his scanning tech again. 
Um, once again, the chapter making much of Renin scanning stuff. I, so, so just kind of as a aside, my my theory is that Rain's like gonna be using some of the some of the power scans that he gets in these chapters, and that's why we're focusing on it so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Rain is able to guess Love Lost passwords relatively easily based on his uh, tactile memory of her um, of her dreams and, and her memories. Yeah, and I like went off the deep end trying to look into what these passwords mean before I saw somewhere that it's just a packed reference, and I was going, it's a packed I, was reference. going too, I was going too deep into this. Um, but yeah, like 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 we talked about before, this chapter is leaning really far into Rain's usefulness on the team. He's scanning stuff, he's identifying and disarming traps, he's using his blight blades as a, a source, and also to get into the place. Um, he's cracking passwords. Like I said before, we have not spent a lot of time with Rain since we had his like he was the first person we focused on in the story, really. And now we're catching up with him. Victoria's catching up with him um, like Victoria, the coach almost gets to see Rain in action in these chapters and gauge his progress and offer insights like there's like there's the moment where he says, oh, I'm so stupid. I this these things are a brighter light source than my phone. And Victoria is like. Hey, it's all right. You'll you'll get there. Um, so she's a coaching in that matter. And then we see at the end of the second chapter, she coaches him in a, a different method that, well, we're going to get there when we <laughs> talk about it, but it's not as an effective method, I don't think. Um, yeah. But I think one of the other things this does is allow us, this focus allows us to kind of catch up with rain, but I think it allows us to subtextually kind of plant the seeds for some um, biases towards vein rain that Victoria is clearly harboring. And, and we'll, we'll get into this in a bit and talk about it more, but I think this is the most fascinating part about all this for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I like that you kind of emphasize that um, this is maybe, I don't know, not the first time, but, but this is a, certainly an arc where we're, we're actually emphasizing that it's kind of nice to have a Swiss army knife cape, you know, a, a cluster cape hanging around uh, who, who can do a bunch of different things. And yeah, m- maybe uh, just a few different, you know, we, we've seen him use the silver blades to, to advantage in the past, but here he kind of gets to, to use all of his powers um, to a greater or lesser degree. Um, yeah. yeah. So Victoria intermittently checks in on the other teams using her little projectory disky dealy. Um, and she sees that they're all running, but they don't seem to be in an active fight. Well, that's a uh, good I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone's, I do like yeah, in danger. I do like that. We cut back to them though. Right. Like, um, we just like intermittently like check back with this, these teams and see if they're like fully dead or not. Um, I think it allows us to like remind the reader about that. There's, there is some sort of like three pronged pincer attack happening somewhere and we still don't know who it's, it's like, Oh yeah, there's that happening. Like we're, we're dealing with all the stuff with love lost or with a Lord of loss. And, um, and nursery and, and those teams, but we've got this other attack that's happening somewhere or going to happen soon somewhere that we don't know about. And I think those cutback moments where she checks her device is a good way to remind the reader about that. Yeah. Also, so the, the glitching thing happened last um, last chapter, right? The, the first time yeah. the glitching thing happened was last chapter. So like now we're we're there's like some level of anxiety attached to her looking at her little projector dealy because um uh, okay, so so my like immediate thought when she looked at her projector and saw that it was glitching and it looked like their their body parts were everywhere was one of these times she's going to look at her wrist, see the body parts everywhere, think, "Oh, it's just glitching again." And it's not going to be glitching. Yeah. So 
so like that's that that's what I feel like is being set up. So it, so I don't know if you're supposed to guess that or if that's just where my mind went immediately. But in either case, I get like a stab of anxiety every time she looks at the projector. Yeah, I, I don't know. We, we could be intentionally setting that up. I like that idea a lot. I mean, I, that's that would be a very classic three beat, right? Um, we check like because it's happened twice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the third I, beat. I'm not sure actually, but yeah, I, th- I think I'm pretty sure it's happened twice. I mean, she she looks at the thing more than she's looked at the thing more than twice. But the specific like they're broken up into pieces glitch that makes her momentarily panic before she like her brain catches up with her eyes, um, has happened twice. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be an interesting way to do it. I mean, and, and again, we know that that, that power exists out there. We know the cradle is going to be doing something with that. So yeah, that would be an interesting way to go with it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, even if it wasn't intended, it messed me up. So, (laughs) um, so we get to take a deep dive into Love Lost's folder labeling scheme. She's <laughs> like has this like interesting kind of abstract labeling scheme of of strange words, and so they find uh, personal files and photos. They find Tinker notes, and they find an online wallet which lists tens of thousands of dollars in transactions. So Victoria sabotages the online wallet, which freezes the funds and halts all the transactions and. And then she sends a bunch of confusing emails to the mercenaries. So I just love this bit right here. Like this is, yeah, this is just awesome. Like creative, uh, using her mind, right? She's she's not smashing anything. She's using her mind to completely throw uh, this this enemy into chaos. Yeah, it's the breakthrough cybercrimes division. Absolutely, it's great. Yeah, um, I, I I like this moment specifically as just a, a maybe a jumping off point to talk about her attitude toward Rain because. He says uh, he looked at the numbers. Being a villain pays. Considering it, I asked, trying to sound casual, as tense as the overall situation was, as not casual as the possibility of him turning to the wrong side might be. No, he said, it costs too. So, like, my takeaway from this is, like, man, Victoria just does not trust Rain or, or have a very accurate read on him or, or a very fair read on him, I think. No, I, I think you're right, and I, I that's what I... I like that you said using this as a jumping off point, because that's what I really want to talk about here. Victoria is this person that, like, I think has expressed a desire to give up people second chances, right? That, like, she's expressed happiness in the fact that Rain is seeking forgiveness and working towards um, making up for the bad things that he's done. But underneath all that, she's still that person that doesn't believe in forgive and forget, right? Like, I don't think she's, she's, I think she's slowly changing, but I don't think she's fully changed in, in that, uh, that outlook yet. And I, and I think you're right that a lot of how that is expressed towards rain specifically is this base level of distrust, this base level of, um, frustration and kind of anger at this person that did this terrible thing that she knows about and 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 as you said earlier in the show has never like maybe fully processed and gone through like when she first learned about it she just flew away and I don't know if they've ever like had a sufficient like sit down talk about it like she just kind of observed him from afar and and seen his attempts to get better and has always been like like confused and uncertain in how she feels about that. Cause in the one time she's like, good, he's trying, but maybe he deserves to feel this way forever. Right. And, and like that back and forth and her feelings of him has been so confusing. And I think like we're seeing that a lot in these chapters. And part of what I think 
the reason we're seeing the distrust specifically here is Victoria has just like opened up Love Lost's files and seen the pictures that she keeps of her past life, right? And and we have this moment where Victoria says, a real person, a person with a past. I shivered. And the text does not specifically draw the thread between seeing Love Lost as a real person and having the guy um, who is tangentially responsible for the losing of who that person was. But I don't think it has to draw that line because I think it's there, right? Like, she she's seeing love love loss as as this human being that that had this life and went through all this stuff and here's the guy that that did it okay not entirely right like there's a lot of extenuating circumstances there but but here he is and he's on my team and i don't know how i feel about that yeah um i think you're i think you're right and my brain just like did several logical leaps while you were saying that because you, you basically caused me to, to, and maybe this isn't that creative actually, maybe other people have said this, but just the idea that the powers manifested by, um, the, the mall cluster, the emotion powers are basically projecting whatever emotion it is that they're feeling when they're watching, um, each other's dreams. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. like, like love, when love lost watches rain's dream, she's, she's feeling like hate when he watches her dreams, he's feeling regret. Um, so it's, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't work perfectly actually, but I guess, I guess the reason why I thought of it just now, um, is, is this idea of, of like looking in on love loss as a real person is actually something that rain has to do several times a week. Right. Right. Um, Or at least once a week, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it messes like it messes with Victoria to have to see it that way. But maybe like what she doesn't appreciate about rain is that it's something that he confronts all the time. Right. And, and it like, this is, this is nothing new to him. He, he literally has to live out her life routinely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the hope is here, right. That that kind of connection, that realization brings her closer to him because maybe she understands on some level, you know, what he's going through. Like we had that moment in the, in the last week's reading where, she kind of got on his case, like, don't make people hate you. Like, don't go out to make people hate you. Um, and she doesn't fully understand what it's like to be him and have these feelings of regret, have this this constant, like, awareness of how bad the thing that you did was. Um, and maybe this kind of brings her closer to understanding that. So maybe this thing that I think in, in the moment um, – seems to like make her mistrust him a little bit. will hopefully bring them closer together at the end of it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, uh, yeah, we're definitely setting some stuff up. Can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah. So the most, uh, uh, distressing part of these, uh, chapters, uh, happens now where she's reading communiques with Lord of loss between Lord of loss and, uh, love lost. And the text says, I am happy to do this level of work because I trust you. A job done is reputation. Uh, success oriented emoji get the job done get the pay build rapport other emoji lol my thinker has a good feeling about this um another weird little little emoticon wow i whispered that's more horrifying than nursery's power (laughs) i like that we can make jokes yeah um so this section irre- irre- irrevocably changed my perception of Lord of Lost. So bravo with that. 
yeah, I'm I'm happy that someone with the name LOL is just as goofy as I hoped they would be. You know, my niece, uh, Matt, just got her first email account ever. Uh-huh. And she's been like sending emails to me like every other day, basically. And she really likes using emoji like uh-huh. each each sentence in her email is finished by some sort of emoji. Um, and she's eight. So <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is what this reminded me of as I was reading it. Like this this eight year old girl that just like is contacting people for the first time and just loves it and has access to all these emoji and she's loving using them. And it just like I I think we're pretty like Lord of Lost is like a 30 year old man. Right. Because we saw him in um, the I think the the time camera showed what his human form looked like. And he was like a 30 something guy. But he's just so dorky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 funny because like, I mean, his power makes him so formidable seeming. But like th- that that is kind of the perfect thing that powers would do is like make you into like a giant badass yeah. monster creature. Um like to to like sort of compensate but but simultaneously calcify the fact that you're a huge nerd <laughs> right um, right trying to remember it's like uh, i think um isn't um um uh it'll it'll come to me um juggernaut isn't juggernaut actually like a nerd when he's not wearing his helmet anyway it doesn't I, I matter. don't remember yeah it doesn't really matter but it kind of reminds me of that uh yeah so that's pretty awesome uh, so importantly, we see Love Lost's communications with other capes. Uh, first, we learn that she needs to kill two capes, uh, and only one of them being Rain, of course. Yeah, so then, I mean, who's the other one, right? Like, I think Cradle is the most obvious choice, and that's the one that they kind of indicate here in the text itself. Um, but something in, in Rain's response makes me really doubt that, and it seems so obvious that I don't think it would be that. I, I guess the possibility is Seer, right? Like finally yeah. turning your attention to the the actual fallen member that started the fire, um, which I mean would make sense, but it would kind of be too rational to the point right. where I kind of doubt it. Like, like if she really wanted to get revenge on the people that did this to her, yes, Rain, absolutely. You're like put in a situation where you have to experience his view of this thing every few days. I get why you'd want to take out Rain, but like, wouldn't you want to completely dismantle all of the fallen too? As like the representatives of like this happening yeah i mean they were the ones who ordered this to happen right it's 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 it is it is definitely irrational to specifically want to take out the 15 or 16 year old kid who was part of the terrorist attack and just gloss over the fact that the terrorist attack was ordered and also conducted by entirely other and more like objectively evil people but i mean it's like it's fair to say she's not being rational about this anyway so sure um and and and, i mean they they did try to attack the fallen and it just wasn't successful so it's possible that she's just like yeah you know i tried um although i that doesn't seem like her attitude either i I feel like she would be a bulldog about it so yeah it leaves really leaves you wondering who the other person is yeah i mean one of the things we've seen this is like the second time we've done it now first we did it with disjoint and now we do it with rain where they look at this idea of a love lost post uh revenge gained um and like i think she says here is like once i kill these two people once i get my revenge um the fire will die down i'm gonna go to some other world and just be in peace and like disjoint rain looks at that and says i don't buy it i don't buy it that doesn't seem like love lost so I mean, there's a possibility that one of the other two she's she's referring specifically to herself, that she knows that this this rage will never be sated and is just going to remove herself from the board once she's gotten her revenge or something. That's possible. I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's all, it's all very interesting. And, and I think we're definitely doing something with this idea of a love lost, um, that who's, who will never be satisfied. Like we're seemingly pushing towards that very specifically. Yeah. Yeah. That's been implanted. Yeah. Um, it makes me wonder if that almost ties into the next thing, which is that, uh, she is one of the people who seems to know or believe that the city is lost. And this is not because any thinker told her it's because, uh, snags ghost told her (laughs) right and it's just wonderfully creepy i mean we're just getting so much wonderful horror in these chapters and this is completely separate from all the other horror that we've been seeing yeah but she's saying in in her creepy all caps way of communicating but my partner snag tries to communicate i listen he is far away and he is close dead and alive he shouts at me from the bottom of a well filled with the power of a destroyed alien world and i hear echoes of whispers He says the city is doomed and he tries to explain why. And I know it is true. (laughs) Um, And then, (laughs) uh, fuck me, Precipice said. You're saying that a lot. Fuck a lot of this. I nodded. Um, So, like, first of all, that's funny. Uh, A funny little kind of like counterpoint to the the, uh, existential horror. But also, fuck me is Victoria's thing. And she's criticizing him for saying it. How much more of a fucking hypocrite can you be, Victoria? Sorry, oh, we'll I'm gonna, see. Because I'm, I'm going to take a laugh. I'm going to walk. No, off. no, but because more. The answer is she can be more of a fucking hypocrite. Because yeah. we're going to get that in a bit. Um, but I think what this is doing again is like bringing us, us back around to this Cape Afterlife idea, right? Like the the moment when Snack died, he had this realization that he's not like go like he's not ceasing to exist he's going somewhere else and and we've also had this idea with with that broken trigger event this idea of like dead capes returning to the source quote unquote right they're not they're not dying they're not ceasing to exist they're 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 going back to the source of their power and obviously um snag is communicating to her through this and the interesting part about this to me is Rain's reaction to it, right? Because like if if we didn't have Rain's specific like surprised fuck me reaction to this, um, the assumption that I would have is that Snag's post-death communication must be occurring within their dream room. Um, and that therefore if it's occurring via the dream room, then I would assume that Rain would be able to hear and or or like be aware of snag's communication as well but it doesn't see based on his response here it doesn't seem like that's true um so there's a lot of questions going on here like to the point where like i really hope we get another uh rain cluster interlude sometime soon because i want to see what that dream room looks like i like i want to see what snag's section looks like like if it matches the the mysterious fifth section of the room like if it's dark just like that one is or what it looks like and and how what what's happening inside that room because we haven't we haven't been in there in a long time yeah great points yeah i don't know if i even thought about any of that stuff but that that's yeah I, i'm i'm excited to find out what's going on there too yeah uh so the heartborked discuss stealing the big bags of money and the drugs that they find yeah um and she seems like Victoria seems grudgingly okay with that. She's like, yeah, that would really hurt her to take this money and cocaine. Even though I think it's candy. That's like, I get to try cocaine. Yeah. Well, it's not exactly. Okay. I get to try opiates. Yeah. 
Right. Hooray. Uh, yeah, and Victoria's like, well, I guess you're villains anyway, and yeah. I'm working with villains, so whatever. But it is interesting that there's one thing that's too far for her, right? Um, she's ta- They're taking the computer, so they're taking all her family photos, but she leaves Love Lost a note saying, look, I, we want to talk. We're not going to, like, take your fo- family photos from you. Um, we will send them back to you. Um, if you if you meet with us and it's it's, it's kind of beat of kindness here um, as she's like secretly wondering to herself if Love Lost is going to be one of those that they're going to have to force to disappear. Um, and I just find that really interesting that like she's it, to me, it's the central like conflicted nature of what's going on in Victoria right now is that like she recognizes that they might have to do this, this, this frankly disturbing thing where they just act like kind of unilaterally to disappear people Um but she's also recognizing her as a human being still. Yeah. I, I think she, at this point she would still much rather love loss, like back off and, and stop making right. a problem for her, which is fully within character and, and really a, a rather noble perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think that Victoria does not like understand what an unhinged and dangerous person love lost is actually. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and I think part of that is that she sees her as a victim and identifies with her a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. One of the things that's really interesting about that to me is as I think about, you know, how this plays out and what the themes of the story is, when you look back at Worm, Worm was this, this book with a lot of like moral quandaries in it, right? Like doing what, what is right, what is wrong in these situations. But the main character of Worm was a character that was very quickly able to deal with that kind of moral grayness and just pick the thing they wanted to do and go. That was like Taylor never really wrestled with these moral issues. She just like did it. Um, we have Victoria here in this book, who is a character that wants to really exist in this black and white world, wants to really be the person that is just like, I am good. I am representative of good. I'm going to do good. And she's being confronted with this grayness and her reaction to it is very different from the protagonist in the last book because she is much, she has much more difficulty making those decisions. And I think it's interesting that like forcing Taylor into making a morally gray decision and forcing Victoria into making a morally gray decision are very, very different things. And the characters have very different reactions to them. And I think like we're getting to see like the idea of, okay, what is a a hero that wants to do good? How is this world going to destroy them? Because like, that's not, that's not really what we did with Taylor, Taylor, right? Like, cause her reaction to that kind of grayness was just so different from what Victoria is. And so I think about this idea that yes, she doesn't want to disappear. Love lost in, in Victoria's ideal world of black and white. Um, she's able to save Love Lost, this person that she looks at, she sees as a victim now, and redeem her and, um, you know, prevent her from doing bad without having to do anything bad herself. But that's not the world they live in. And seeing her deal with the truth of that, I think is going to be very interesting. Yeah, no, I really like that comparison between the characters. Um, it, it gives me a lot to think about. I don't know if you even have anything too sharp to say about it right now, but but there's definitely... Taylor had a had a heroic streak, but you could you could go into great detail about the ways in which right. these two characters who have strong heroic streaks are um, quite actually incompatible in terms of like why they are heroes and the way their heroism manifests. Yeah, and, and you can imagine them reacting. Like even when she was Weaver, you can imagine the two of them reacting to a situation in very different ways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's great. Well, it's just the idea that you know between the two books, like 
the moral quandary in Worm was never our protagonist dealing with making a difficult moral decision because she was just able to do that. The the, the moral quandary in Worm was us, the reader, saying, <laughs> I'm not sure about yeah, that. Is that too far? Yeah. Where, whereas in this book, I think it's much more the protagonist going, I'm not sure what the right move here is. Um, and that is an interesting change. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so yeah, here we have another beat. Victoria hangs back and I backed off pulling up the disc to check the status of the other groups, bodies in pieces. It still made my heart skip a beat. Uh, so this is wonderful horror. Um, Victoria, you know, reacting to, to this and, and, and it, and it disturbs us. This is what makes me think like she's going to see the bodies in pieces and be like, Oh, okay, well that that's fine. And then it's not going to be fine. Um, but yeah, so next thing that happens, Victoria, here's the heartbeat indicating that a region of nursery's power has stabilized in the closet nearby, uh, which warns them that nursery's power lingers, uh, but it doesn't warn them fast enough to avoid the fridge banging open and a giant tongue grabbing Parian around the face. This, this is a wonderfully suspenseful piece of writing. We have the slow buildup of a whole chapter of nursery nonsense of, of what, what is this? Like, how is this? This is so horrifying. It's scared Victoria. What is it? What is it? And we think, we you know, we think we've maybe escaped it. And then suddenly she's back or rather her effect is back. And it's of course a closet under the stairs. Of course it's a <laughs> monster in a closet under the stairs. That's perfect. But then surprise, the attack comes not from the front, but from the sides from the refrigerator <laughs> monster. You didn't even know was there. Um, and it face hugs Perry and you're just like, what, what, uh-huh. what? Yeah. And, and the thing is we still don't really know what's going to happen. Like we just know our ah, impregnation and of course it's far more horrifying than uh, uh-huh. than anyone dare imagine um so the, yeah the thing attaches to her face the group is able to cut the giant thing apart and keep it from tearing Perian's head off in the process but it's already threaded umbilicals and vessels into her orifices her ears her nasal cavity down her throat they pull a huge uh grub out of her throat followed by a string of smaller ones um, makes you wonder, like, what is the next step in this, like, life cycle we're witnessing? Um, and they manage to tear up the inside of Perian's, like, throat and mucous membranes as they're doing this. Yeah, um, this is some of the most visually disturbing writing I've ever read in my entire life. And I loved it! <laughs> I loved it so much! Uh-huh. I, I love body horror. Like, I really, it's it's inventive and disgusting and gross and that, that weird kind of pleasurable pleasurable way and every time i read something like this i feel bad for that one guy uh that talked about how much they hated body horror i don't think they did very well with this chapter um but let me look at this writing like at her ear a tiny umbilical cord threaded to a calloused quarter-sized lump of fresh with a nascent leg attached at her nose a hand was extending from a nostril fingers twitching it is amazing how things that you will never actually see with your own eyes in, in real life can be conveyed in a way in which you have the image of it in your head instantly. Like I, this, this image of a, a little baby hand poking out of a nostril is an image I will never be able to get out of my head. And I think it's just fantastic that that is conveyed so quickly and so impactfully that you like are horrified in all the right ways. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it, you know it's really good descriptive writing when, when when like because I I was not like man I want to see a picture of this 
no part of me was like, I want to see a picture of this. I, <laughs> I, I, I have no problem picturing this just fine. And in fact, might even prefer my mental image to, to, to really any visual depiction of it because, because yeah. the, I don't know if it's in your imagination, it's so much more like it's, it's, it's immediate. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's really great. And it's just starting. Yeah, it's, it is. That's true. So Lord, Lord of Loss and uh, Nursery have already arrived outside by the time they can get out of the building and it's on. It's time for a cape battle. Yep. Uh, so 11.7 begins. Victoria f- opens up by trying to buy off Lord of Loss and, you know, referencing the fact that, uh, you know, oh, uh, she's not going to pay you. It's all a trap. But of course, it's not really case it's a trick but anyway he refuses because he's clearly completely insane completely insane or the most loyal mercenary who ever lived yes yeah okay he's it's probably your one <laughs> but still if you need to hire a guy this is the guy yeah i mean he's good at his job he's gonna send you a lot of emoji emails though yeah yeah you gotta you gotta work through that part <laughs> So, yep, big old fate uh, cape fight commences. Fate foil, type. Fate type. Uh, foil uses her bolts to pin people into place, starting with Lord of Loss's limbs. Uh, LOL doesn't seem to ever go indoors, Victoria comments, which is interesting because I think that's true, but uh, we haven't seen that. Uh, and what's interesting is Nursery's power seems to be something that is, like, strongly advantaged indoors, um, although it definitely seems to be able to work outside. Uh, but it's it's interesting because they have like one of them has an indoor synergy, one of them has an out, outdoor power, and and maybe I guess yeah. between the two they cover all the bases. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if that's why he doesn't go inside, right? That it's just like not it's too much of a risk to to go fuck with the places her power is filling up, or if he's there's some other um, very specific Lord of Loss reason for that. I, I suspect we're gonna find out more about this guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, as we're talking, I'm just like maybe it's just because he's enormous. Like maybe that's it's true. That simple, yeah. All but, his uh, forms are very, very big. Yeah. Sounds uh, like somebody's compensating for something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's such a, such a shard thing to do. So Victoria has a skirmish with a human air hockey puck dressed as a Power Ranger, um, <laughs> who she's able to defeat with the trickery inherent in having a large invisible autonomous force field, plus the ability to fly and thus control the cape's momentum. Um, she she comments that this cape reminds her of her mom um, in terms of how they how they fight and what their power is. Yeah, because she, uh, her mom turns into that, that Sphere, ball of yeah. light, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So she's caught off guard by the wretch reminding her of the asylum again, uh, something that she hasn't really been plagued with that much recently. Yeah, and it caught me off guard too because, yeah, we haven't seen her like dive into this a little bit too. And looking back at this and knowing how the rest of the chapter goes out, I mean, did you think this was you know, rain aura hitting her. Like she gets hit by rain's aura several times throughout this chapter. Um, and this is one that she doesn't specifically recognize as a rain. Um, but it seems like how suddenly it comes and how different it is from her normal, um, from, from how lately she's been dealing with the wretch. Um, it seems to me that this could be aura generated. It did. That did not occur to me, but I think you're absolutely right in retrospect. Um, I, I, I think that's true. Um, so, so like as this fight kind of commences, I can't help but notice that the team has, the, the, when they split up the teams, they've put all of the, uh, multi-trigger and, or cape with multiple power people on 
the same team. I, I may be I may be missing someone, but but like Victoria's got like three powers. It's something that we don't, you know, she, she's not a multi-trigger, but she kind of has that weird Dallin family thing going on. Mm-hmm. Reigns a multi-trigger, foils a multi-trigger. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if like, th- that seems actually kind of imbalanced. Like you, you crammed like a ton of useful utility powers into this one team. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a, something that occurred to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it fits the idea that they talked about last week, which was um, we couldn't really dole these team assignments out based on uh, how powers mesh, how things work together. Um, we have to do it based on who's going to possibly kill who. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, that, I, I guess that was that was almost my 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 conclusion is like they accidentally made one super team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which could be good for their continued survival because they're surrounded and outnumbered. But uh, if this three pronged pincer attack is happening on one of their other teams, uh, that's bad. Yeah, I agree. Precisely. Yeah. Especially since the Tattletail team, I'm trying to remember who's on that one, but it, it, that that's one. Their their entire role in that thing was to just gather information, just to like scope out and gather information. So they're not in a like cape battle kind of formation at all. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yep. Exactly right. Yep. So uh, Chastity nails Mr. Ricochet with a blast of distilled defeat, which kind of takes him out of commission. We learn that she can take several people out of the fight this way. Uh, but if she gets herself taken down a peg, uh, which is vague, then all the effects break and then she gets a big backlash. So I mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again. Out of the two of us, you're always going to be the powers nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, yes. you, you much, you much more enjoy getting into like the nerdy nitty gritty of how the, the powers work. Whereas I prefer to get more in depth with other equally nerdy things. <laughs> um, but, but to take on your role for a second right here, um, I, I, continue to love how powers are constructed in this universe um we get this chastity power which on the surface seems amazing right it's this i win button it's like i touch you and i win you're done um but then we layer on all the natural limitations of this power first of all you have to touch them so you have to be able to get close enough to touch them second of all anything happens to you in the course of the fight um you could risk like if you get hurt, if you're seen as less powerful, um, you're right that it's kind of vague here. Um, but, but everything you've done is immediately reversed and you're useless now. So we keep getting like, there, there are so many powers in the story. Now we've had so many characters and so many different powers. And even as we bring new ones up, uh, invent new ones and, and, and bring them into the story, they're always built in with these wonderful, realistic feeling limitations, limitations that make sense both in, in you're writing a story and you can't just make a character that's all powerful because it like ruins everything in your story, but also in universe limitations, because the whole story behind why these powers exist is, Hey, you guys, here's some stuff fight each other with it and we yeah. want to see what happens. Right. Yeah. I mean that this one in particular works, works great because it is basically incentivizing her to, if a fight starts, she has to keep going until the fight is over. Right. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's going to be much worse for her. Like, yeah, just basically go full aggro because you can't even surrender. I, I love that being taken down a peg is actually vague like I, I like that it's vague because it's it doesn't mean that she gets hit in the face necessarily. It can mean that like uh, I mean we don't know what it means. It could really mean anything at this point. But for all we know, it means that like um, she just appears to to um, 
to lose or or, or to yeah. be in, like insulted or something. I mean, it could mean that the momentum of the overall battle just swings so widely in the other direction that that she doesn't even seem like a threat anymore, right? Yeah. Like that, that it could be something as easy as that. And yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Um, so there's one more thing here that I wanted to pick, to draw attention to before we move on. I don't know if I have much to say about it, but um, so after she does this, she says to Victoria, "You're going to need to protect me." She said, waggling her hand in my general direction, the glowing fingernail in focus, which is like a cool thing that like I guess the fingernails track how many people are under the effect of her power. I think so, um, yeah. So she can like keep track, like so she'll know if it breaks. Um, then, like she was just now remembering, and I'm going to need to protect Precipice. So, <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and th- I mean, like, it's it's kind of weird, right? And I saw some theories going around. Um, you, you know the truth of Precipice's power that we get, like, cliffhangered at the end of this chapter. Um, but before the chapter came out, uh, I was seeing some, you know, conversations going around that maybe like one of Rain's power is to like make people like him, um, which would kind of be the opposite of how Rain seems to operate generally. And and this is, a, I think, a, an indication of how that might be true. I don't really think that, um, but uh, I just I, I love that little beat at the end there. Yeah, I mean, my my read on it, I mean, just, you know, no spoilers, just my read at the time was just like I thought this was a callback to her kind of like anime attitude of like love is the most important thing yeah and and like that's all that's all this was is just her basically coming down on the decision that like um maybe she felt ambivalent about him for a minute but she is actually ultimately going to to protect him yeah i have to get you to the person that you love yeah exactly uh so yep fight victoria engages with lord of loss and um, she thinks he seems stronger, like his, his changer forms are less restricted, um, like he's like a mass of arms with clawed hands, which are apparently capable of extruding lances, which is just kind of a gobbledygook mess of like utilitarian things that he's put together. It's not like, oh, it's a it's a centaur, which is what he was at the uh, at the other fight. Yeah, he's definitely been leveling up somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, the interesting thing about this is we've we've like revealed this truth about him, this dorky truth. And it's almost as like the, the book wants you to go between not being able to take him seriously and also being like, like awed by his power because that's kind of where I'm at. Like he's very serious and scary here, but he probably also named himself Lord of Lost. So his initials would be LOL. Yeah. <laughs> like that's probably something that happened. Um, and it's just like, I, I love that kind of dichotomy between those two, those, these two versions of him we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's, he's really strong. Like, like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like, I like his, his implementation as an antagonist in this story because he's actually somebody who it would be really hard for, um, pretty much uh, like, like Victoria is almost perfectly suited to be a cape who can, who can fight him, but, but, uh, not, what am I trying to say here? Like, most capes can't hurt him at all. Uh, most capes yeah. can't take a hit from him. Victoria can take a hit from him, but not very many. And she can hurt him, but not very much. So it's a perfect sort of antagonist for for like a brute like her. It's like, oh yeah, you're a brute who can hit harder and who can take a hit. Well, your antagonist is a brute who can hit harder and who can take way more hits. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm being clear here, but like this is a well-crafted opponent for her. Is no, what, and I, what I'm getting at. 
I agree. And we, we have to, you know, you know, put his like he's he's a successful mercenary because he's never been defeated. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's loyal to these people and, and he can be loyal in his job because he knows like he wins almost every time. Like he, he doesn't like if if he it's a lot it's a lot easier to be loyal and not be bought off by someone with more money if you're pretty confident that in any kind of conflict situation you're going to end up on top by the nature of how fucking powerful you are yeah. and that's the type of person he sees like it's like it, it's it's easy to to be in that position when you know it um and that kind of leads us into this this conversation where she she like tries to um you know, attack him on the morality front. Like she, mm-hmm. she's not trying to fight him physically. And they have this whole comp, they have this whole like mini morality conversation, um, in the middle of the chapter here. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to zoom in and focus on this and we're not going to read the whole thing cause it's very long. Um, but I, I really wanted to like talk about this and what this is saying, right? Because we have this moment where, um, she's basically saying like, look at the people you're working for. They, they tore people apart but left them alive and stole pieces of them. So you can't even put them back together. And Lord of loss is like, yeah, well you like pulverized Valefor's jaw. And she's like, yeah, but he was bad, <laughs> which yeah, he was, uh-huh. but like to a mercenary, it's like, look, you, you take out the people that are working against you by whatever means necessary. Like in his mind, that's just what you do. Right. Yeah, he's he's basically look, looking at the acts in isolation and not like whether they were justified. Yeah, and and my most f- favorite of his lines here, which is like true uh, amorality in every meaning of the word, is um, my line gets drawn when I'm hired. I can't quit a job partway through. I consider things after. So it's just like his his is he has no moral compass really. It's just if you want me to do it. I'm going to do it. And yeah, maybe I'll think about it after the fact, but that's useless in any kind of morality situation. Yeah. But I think this is a fantastic thing to, to once again, a fantastic thing to pit against Victoria because her whole life, or um, I mean the whole story at least has been her struggling to find her line. Like, like, like what, what is the line? Where should the line be drawn? She's, she, she has her like, her like decision flow chart of, of, of like who, who, where, where the um, moral compass should come from and, and, you know, reach out to other people, consult what the law says. What does society say about this? What does my heart say about this? What, what do my loved ones who, who've died? Like what, what are they, what would they, what would they say about this? Um, And, and just constantly struggling to try to, to honor everything that she thinks should be honored when it comes down to drawing, where is the line? What is, what is right and wrong and trying to be as scrupulous as she possibly can. And here's this guy coming along saying, Hey, you're making it too hard for yourself, Victoria. You just draw the line and whoever hires you to do the thing, they're right. And the thing that's right is to do the thing they hired you to do. It's really easy. I don't know why you're making it so complicated. Right. And I mean, a lot of the story is she's a cop, right? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what Victoria is. She's a, she's a cop figure. She's like, not, not legally, but yeah, she, she believes in law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, She like, and, and it's, this is the story of the cop, you know, getting out there on the streets and learning about like what the real world is like. And, and that, that, 
you know, young idealistic view of right and wrong is being attacked and prodded from different people with different ideas of what right and wrong is. Um, and people that like, I, like I don't find Lord of Loss's argument here very convincing. I think, I think this is actually almost like worse than anything else because like being amoral literally means that it doesn't matter like at all. Like you are capable of doing anything and that's horrifying and terrible. Um, but I mean, he, he, he is like poking and prodding her at her, at her weakest part of which, which is how she is deciding to draw the lines at the thing that is most confused and unsure about her right now is where do I draw the lines? Like you, like you've got to draw the line, Lord of law, she says, and is like, yeah, I know, but you do that too. Like, look, there's a line between playing fair and destroying your enemies and you've crossed it in the past. And like, it doesn't matter that it was totally justified. It's veil for he's terrible. You had to take him out in a way that like makes it so he can't use his power on you. So like smashing his jaw open was understandable there. But like, I think it's just, we're seeing Victoria's copness get attacked um, by the realities of existence. And that's always fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think both of them are, are maybe not exactly, but sort of gesturing at this idea of the cops and robbers game when they're talking about the line and the line that Victoria crossed when she smashed his jaw was the like, okay, you're, you're no longer playing cops and robbers right now. You, you are, you are taking out your enemy, uh, with, with excessive force. Yeah. And, and, and he's saying like, yeah, I mean, you've, you've broken, you've broken those rules before. And she's like, yeah, sometimes you have to break the rules. I mean, that's, that's understood. And I don't know. It's, I, I like, I like that, his worldview is coherent to him, um, but and like impervious to her kind of logic, and and like yeah. vice versa, where she's like, "You're you're you're a hypocrite," and he's like, "Not not from my point of view." So yeah, right. I, I like, like I it. think he has a clearer understanding of his worldview than she does of hers, and it's because hers is bogged in this gray uncertainty that she's going through right now. Yeah, um, and it, it, I think it's very difficult for a person who's having trouble deciding what the right thing to do in is in this world of difficult choices because it goes up against someone who has absolutely no problems deciding what the right thing to do is because the right thing to do in their mind is whatever you're paying me to do. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope, I hope we develop that more actually, you know? Yeah. So, I think so. so the team tries to evacuate on Perry and spider with uh Perry and herself slung over it, mostly incapacitated except for her power. Which, they, okay. That's uh, like the, she's like a big deal in this fight, even though she's like totally taken out. Like there's threads everywhere blocking off people. And like for, for being someone who just got a giant fetus ripped out of their throat, she's doing pretty good, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that someone, um, I, I don't even remember where pointed out that, uh, I, I don't remember her using threads this way. Um, yeah, that seems um, new back in worm. Um, but this, this actually seems like an, an innovation that she might've picked up from Taylor specifically, um, using, using spider webs, using threads. Uh, so yeah. a, as they flee, the area is increasingly overcome with nursery's power around them. Uh, and the unpowered mercenaries try to hem them in. Victoria's role becomes just fending off Lord of Loss's attacks as he switches between forms, trying to find a way around her to get to the other teammates. Rain at one point is able to signal her using his emotions power and trusting her to interpret what he's doing. Uh, and then the two of them coordinate so that she strikes him just as Rain nails him, uh, nails Lord of the Lost with the blades. 
which is really fucking smart, Matt. Like this is this is really inventive on Rain's part. He comes up with this idea to signal her this way, and then he executes on it, trusting that she'll know what he means. And she does. She picks up on it really quick, and it works. They this this team up between the two of them force Lord of Loss into various forms to counteract them and and gets them the closest to actually defeating him that probably anyone has ever gotten. Yeah, it, it's a fantastic team up um, where like she's she's strong, but not really strong enough to damage him. But when when coupled with his power, she is. And and it it's just a really cool power synergy that um, I mean, we've sort of seen a lesser form of it several times where like he'll weaken yeah. something and then she'll smash through it. But this is this is using it in combat against an opponent, which is awesome. Yeah. So this new this new cape comes in a blaster capable of creating a wide variety of effects and they kind of hold the team at bay and kind of put them in a corner. Victoria struggles as she remembers the crawler situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this kind of like flicker back to horrible things that happened to her has been caused by rain. And she interprets it as, a, as, as him signaling again. And she attacks Lord of Loss again in concert with rain's blades. And this basically causes Lord of Loss to break apart, emerging this time in his flying form. Um, and then she smashes into him, and when she does it, she sees what is probably his core. Yeah. So, second beat of aura-driven coordination between the two of them, right? Um, the, the first one establishes it. The second confirms that this is a general strategy that they're using going forward, and not just this one-time thing. This is effective working communication, and they're succeeding. Good job, Rain. I, like, they're, as soon as this fight's going to end, Victoria's probably going to go up to Rain and be like, "Wow, man." really good use of your power. Like, I understand you're still getting a feel of this thing, but good job because you communicated efficiently and we worked together. He's, she's going to give him a real pat on the back. Right. Right, Matt. Yeah. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, So, um, (laughs) so as we move forward, um, I like, I like how we're kind of continuing to table set, but in a way that, that is not obtrusive because we learned that, uh, power is to hit people, uh, she hits them with it, and then it makes them like pain. Kinky. So I can't wait to see how that manifests in the fight. Yeah. So as Lord of the Loss flies toward the ground, aiming to rip open the earth and let Nursery's flesh minions out, Victoria and Rain team up to quickly cut apart a construction crane, and then she uses the hook to like impale him and to steer him, and it kind of works. She kind of diverts his course. But also Victoria hits the ground really hard and is completely dazed. Yeah, I, I like this because like Victoria just like points at the crane to rain and then like he throws the blade and it hits the wrong part first. And then she's like exasperated and like, come on, and then just points again. And the second time he actually gets what she's meaning, even though like she just like can you imagine just like a big crane up there. and You're just like and then like, yeah, you don't immediately know exactly what I want you to do. <laughs> it's like, uh, um, yeah, so everything works out. Kind of, but but then, then, yeah. then she yells at him. Yeah, she gets increasingly impatient with him. Um, and she so she's saying, uh, while we're assessing what to do and what not to do, precipice. Sorry, he said, panic. If it was a toy gun or a toy, I'd take it away from you, I said. It almost fucked me up when I tried to lasso him. <laughs> yeah, so basically what happens is, like, she's she's got the thing around him and suddenly gets hit with his power again. Or she's got the thing around Lord of Loss and suddenly um, uh, um, like gets hit by the power and 
it almost like causes her enough doubt where she messes up. And so she's really fucking pissed off at him. And it's like he should have known that if if the heartbroken's power didn't work on Lord of Lost, then how was his going to work? Which I'm not clear of the geography of the battle, but like that was something that one of I think it was was it Candy that just communicated that just to Victoria? Like, I'm not sure if you can assume that Rain would have picked like been told that. Um, yeah. But also like he just used the power in a creative, effective way twice um, to, to coordinate with her. And then all she focuses on is ripping him down for the one time he quote unquote made a mistake, um, which he might not have even been aware of that, that, that that was a mistake that it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Which like, it's just, it just kind of drives me crazy because I like, I understand she's trying to coach him and she's trying to improve him. And I get that, but I just think like yelling at rain, the rain is not the type of personality who like yelling at him is a way to improve himself like that. Like there, there are people that coat like, yelling at is a very effective coaching method. Like there are a lot of people in sports that have like, like nasty mean coaches, like effectively motivate them like, like whiplash. Right. Um, but not all people are like that. Not all people are motivated by anger or, or dismissive rudeness. Yeah. And I don't think rain is one of those people. So I don't think this is the right, I don't think this is the right tact for him. No. Well, I don't think this is a, a strategy on her part i think she's i mean every time he's used the power on her she's mad at him and i think it's pretty simply she's angry at the at what he makes her feel he always makes her feel he reminds her of the crawler situation he reminds her of being in the hospital she hates that it hurts she she she's lashing out i mean this again this is not like this is not her being like i'm being the cape coach she's she's just like you are hurting me in a way that I, that is like my my number one button and i'm super pissed about it um but uh i mean it's it's really interesting to see how this chapter ends in, in light of that yeah um so i guess we'll just we'll just get there yeah let's do it uh so before that happens candy manages to hit nursery with happiness over saturation which knocks her back a bit but not really out of the fight it doesn't really reduce the effect of her power on the area the team is still stuck in her hostile terrain and lord of loss is still smashing up the area to release more of the flesh tongues uh and they're still surrounded by mercenaries so 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 what you're saying is things are going really well for our team yeah things are going great i mean yeah this this is a great chapter because they've been like fighting bitterly in this horrible environment and it basically ends like if anything worse than when it started out yeah but somewhere in the midst of this, Victoria has a brainwave based on her repeated exposure to Rain's power. Uh, and she says, I think I get how your power is really supposed to work. I said, mine? Rain asked. Who else? I asked. Listen carefully, because whether I'm right or wrong, this is going to suck. So first of all, we have to mention that this is a delicious troll from the author of this book on the secret Parian powers, right? Because... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, oh, it didn't even occur to me. Oh my god! Well, no. The sentence right before this is she's talking about Parian. Uh-huh. So, like, like right before this, I think I get how your power is really supposed to work. She's looking at Parian and Parian's dolls, and and so this this who else here is absolutely <laughs> absolutely a specific reference to that in a wonderful kind of way. Uh, um, I feel so dumb. Yeah, but, teasing uh, us. That's great. This would be the part where I, where I normally say, "Hey, Matt, what do you think?" 
the secret power is, but you've read the chapter already, so you know. So I can't ask you that. Um, I guess you can ask me. Yeah. But I don't really have an answer. Like, I mean, obviously, it's something to do with his emotion power. Um, it's it's some an aspect of his power that she's realized a strategy of. I don't know, like, if if it's something to do with, like, doubt or guilt. Um, I don't, like... <sighs> guilting you into behaving better would fit very well with rain's you know whole modus operandi that like like the, his guilt is driving him to become a better person so something i don't know i don't know yeah i mean my my i can just remember what my guess was which is that uh it actually and i'm basing this off of the fact that her description of what it makes her feel was actually didn't sound exactly the same as what he described it as. So I was like, maybe it actually makes everyone feel something different and, and it's different in a way that, that is beneficial to them in some way. But that that was kind of as far as I got. Um, I'm not going to comment on whether that was, you know, right or wrong or partially right or whatever, but uh, that that, that was kind of my guess. I do like that she, she, she phrased it here as I get how your power is really supposed to work. And I wonder if that's the truth. Like if, if like she's discovered like the real use of his power or she's just discovered a way to take his power and use it towards her advantage. Um, mm, yeah. And, interesting. And, and like, cause that, I mean, like that, that's, that's in her mind what the real use of the power would be. So I don't know. Um, we'll find out next week, but yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a fun way to end the chapter where like, like, <laughs> whether I'm right or wrong, this is going to suck. So, I yeah. mean, that's, that's what makes me think it's going to be like, use your power on me a lot because if it works the way I think it is, it'll give me an advantage, but it's going to suck. If it doesn't work the way I think it is, um, it won't give me an exam advantage and will also suck. <laughs> um, so that's what makes me think it's going to be like, use your power on me and I'm going to find a way to take advantage of it. Um, and the idea of like guilt being a driving force or a, a learning force is, interesting to me and, and is very on brand for rain. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. All right. Uh, so now at this, the end of the podcast, here is the uh, community spotlight where we discuss what people wrote in response to the discussion question last this week. This feels so weird, Matt. It's I super, look at our time. <laughs> it's super weird. I look at our time and I'm like, Oh, we're only an hour and a half into the podcast. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. We've still got this whole thing to do at the yeah. end. It feels right though. Somehow. It uh, does. So, the question last week was, what is the healthiest cape relationship in the parahuman saga? Uh, so from, yes, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. All right. So first up, we have Landis963, who says, uh, knowing our author, the healthiest cape relationships are probably the ones that are off screen mostly, which means Dragon and Defiant or Shamrock and Gregor. Um, I, just a general note. Think I think here Dragon and Defiant was by far the most popular choice for this question, which I think makes a lot of sense. They at least seem to be in a relatively healthy relationship at the end of, of Worm. Um, and so it's one of the things that jumped into my head first when I uh, read about this question, but I, not everyone fully agreed on this, right? Because I think there were some comments in the thread about people that are kind of concerned about like, we left their relationship where Defiant had made this choice to release Dragon um, by destroying this other, the the um, Pandora it was, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we don't really know what's happened since then, the consequences of that. We're like, we've seen them very tangentially in the story so far. We've not really got an experience of how things are going right. So um, this is a, this is kind of a big unknown in the story so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see why people give this answer though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
uh, Hero of Old Iron uh, lists Number Man and Citrine. And they say, yeah, they're both horrible people. But from the way Citrine talks about the Number Boys and how they treat her, it seems fairly obvious that Kurt does actually like her. It's a little hard to read her perspective, but I'm pretty sure uh, she does appreciate him in the same way or a very similar way. Yeah, and I think the the secret trick of this this question, Matt, is not who is the healthiest cape relationship that exists among 100% good people, Yeah, <laughs> which is not not really what we were going for here, um, which I think lines up right with Clarno's answer as well, because they say Victor and Othala, um, the two members of Empire 88 from Worm, um, they point out that Tattletail is trying to tear them apart only to be temporarily stymied by the fact that they actually possess basic communication skills. There are still weaknesses that are there that Tattletail managed to exploit, of course, because she's Tattletail. But I appreciate that they're a couple that came together for unusual reasons, have realistic problems, and have talked about them and are willing to come to mature solutions and compromises. Too bad they're Nazis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Othal is dead, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I like these answers, though, because, like, you know, there was some pushback on this one specifically. It was like, no, they can't be in a healthy relationship. They're Nazis. They're monsters. And I, I mean, I don't I don't disagree with the fact that they're Nazis and therefore bad people. But like it, it is true also that they had a pretty good communication system going on there. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's the question is like that's the, the central question to this. Like if you are bad people is your relationship healthy? How does that work? What's the the drawing dividing line there? And that's kind of what right. I was hoping to explore with this question. So I'm glad people pick people like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, because ultimately you've smuggled in a question of what is a healthy relationship. Right. Right. Exactly. Like that, that, that's what the question is secretly. Um, and people get to expound on what they think it is by, by choosing a pair and then saying why. Uh, Lewd Calamari chooses Poyle. Uh, <laughs> Poyle and Farian, Foyle and Parian. <laughs> they clearly love one another and take care of each other's well-being. Foyle's scream in the recent chapter echoing Parian's when she believed Foyle to have been caught in a gray boy loop. Uh, it had a somewhat rocky start with Foyle basically pledging herself to Parian when it seemed like Parian's own issues with relationships in the past were going to overcome the attempt. But it's clearly evolved into something much more healthy and mutual, the two easily sharing spaces and comforting one another. There are some potential issues with the two being capes brushing with death regularly and their relationship obligating Foyle to be a villain, but it only seems to extend to her passive-aggressive sniping at Tattletail, uh, the two otherwise serving as a moral compass for the larger team. And Lude Kalamari also touches on Scion and Eden as the perfect relationship, (laughs) Uh, and that's something uh, that'd be fun to talk about. Uh, They're literally two halves of the same whole. Yeah, there you go. They're perfect. They they counter each other in every way because that's how they're designed to. Mm-hmm. Of course, that ends in one of their horrible deaths and then both of their horrible deaths. So, you know, yeah. relationships, you they're know, tough. I mean, the, on the one hand, they're designed to be the perfect counterpart. But like you could also, I mean, you could with equal accuracy say the same things about male and female human, like like evolution designed them to be the perfect match it's like no that's not really how it's worked out for us true. so <laughs> true um yeah I, I it's messier than that actually yeah i like i like the foil imperian uh question though and, and that, that gets me into our next answer here which is ferdine 
who basically disagrees. Like th- they said that they want to say Foil and Parian because they like them a lot, but is really concerned about their relationship and reads some kind of hesitation um, in about the relationship when Parian is, is talking to Victoria in one of our most in our latest chapters. And I like that because like th- there's there is some tension between the the foil Parian relationship and uh, their you know continued involvement with the undersiders, right? Yeah. Um, Parian kind of chose to go this way, and and foil in her in her you know love of Parian followed her down this path, and both of them are kind of uncomfortable being on this path, and I think that's tr- bringing tension to their relationship as they continue to be a part of this group that they're neither is, is very sure if they want to belong in anymore. And that, and that, that puts a lot of pressure on your relationship with each other when you're unhappy in your environmental situation. Yeah. I mean, my, my guess based purely on psychological projection would be that they're like in that kind of relationship detente where, um, they, they've maybe talked about it, maybe not talked about it, but, they kind of both know that Foyle's unhappy with the situation, but that but that Parian's not going to budge. Yeah, and so Foyle is just venting by passive aggressively sniping at Tattletail, <laughs> as yeah. was mentioned. And this is not like a stable solution to the problem. It's it's a it's a we're gonna just not talk about this because that would just lead to a fight. And nobody's going to budge. So we're just going to both be unhappy about how things are. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, one one member of the relationship gave up their career, quote unquote, for the mm-hmm. other one. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a very that's a, a very kind choice. Um, it's it's it happens all the time in relationships in real life that that one person makes a choice um, to to support the other and in, in the things that they're chasing. But if you don't communicate about that, if you don't make your feelings about things and your struggles with that thing known and shared within the relationship, it can lead to problems. And I think I think you're right that they were kind of low key seeing that between them. Um, and, and it could it could end up with a, a, a splinter in their relationship, which would make me very sad because I like the two of them very much. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, it's uh, uh, worth pointing out. I mean, the reason we asked this question, right, was that this is the relationships arc. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's uh this is where we've seen some friction between the two of them for the first time, maybe, or, or not between the two of them, but surrounding their relationship. Yeah. Sarah Penguin says that they're having a difficult time picking between Parian and Foil and side piece and disjoint because they're both uh, healthy for the same, uh, which for the same reason, um, communication and support. Uh, when Foil asks Parian out, she is apprehensive and says she can't be with someone who wants to own her. And Foil responds by letting Parian control the speed of the relationship. So the foundation of the relationship is one person expressing their needs and boundaries and the other hearing and respecting that. Then throughout Worm, we see them look out for each other and support each other. Side piece and disjoint are the same. They can communicate with each other openly, and even if they don't agree, they can still hear what the other person has to say. Also, Parian and side piece have a similar romantic history before their current relationship, uh, even if the way they responded was very different. They both had people who uh, weren't interested in them as a person and only wanted sex and are now with people who want more than sex. I liked that connection between the two relationships a lot um, that they're now with, with different kind of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting connection, although I wouldn't say that they're the same type. No, um, not at all. Some, some, uh, something worth pointing out. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd kind of forgotten um, 
briefly until I read this question about the idea that, you know, when they started this relationship, Parian had a lot of trauma from past relationships and the idea of not being in control of the relationship was something that made her feel very uncomfortable and Foyle kind of completely acquiesced to that, which, yes, I, I completely agree. That's a very um, healthy, kind, caring thing to do to a person that you really care about a lot. But, um, you know, while that is something you can easily do the first six months, a year of the relationship, you fast forward two, three, four years down the road, and you're still um, completely acquiescing and completely letting the other person control every aspect of your relationship um, because of their very understandable fear of losing control, uh, that can get a little frustrating, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's just a fact about humans that if you're the kind of person who is who who is who is okay with the other person making decisions in general, that can actually lead to resentment over the long yeah. term, just the way you yeah. described. I completely agree. Yeah. Hope that's not the case here. Hope yeah. not. But yeah. it, it's certainly possible. All right. And finally, here we have Kausubalu, who actually says Victoria and Dean are the strongest relationship in the Parahumans universe. Um, it seems like Victoria and Dean had a pretty healthy relationship. It's a bit of a cheat, though, because, of course, Victoria is looking through rose-tinted glasses. But we've seen enough to know that they clearly cared about each other. They had fights without them ruining the relationship, and they supported each other when they were able to do so. Um, I completely agree with that, and I do... 100% agree that this is a very um, manipulated opinion through the lens of our main character. Uh, I think Victoria and Dean's relationship is going to be something that we're going to continue to explore throughout the story. Um, we've cut back to it many times and we've cut back to it and we've seen when we talked about we've seen the cracks and in, in the, the the picture of what this relationship was. Uh, I, I think we're going to see it was a much more complicated relationship than Victoria made it out to be. But that doesn't mean it wasn't a healthy relationship. Complicated is not always necessarily bad. It's realistic. Like all relationships are complicated. Yeah. That's how it works. Well, that, that I mean, I guess that comes down to the question of like, I guess people can mean different things because it's like I, personally, if they're having these like explosive fights where they don't talk to each other for two weeks and that happens more than once or twice or three times to me, that. It, that that looks pathological to me from the outside yeah um so so that would be my like like uh, i don't know about that um but <laughs> uh i mean you could also just be like yeah but they're in high school kids in high school are ridiculous right i mean that's the other thing how long did they date I, i'm trying i was trying to remember that um, i, I should have looked that up uh i want to say two years is the number yeah, that, that pops sounds in my about head. Right. yeah 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 i mean i don't want to completely dismiss the feelings of of young people in high school and, and the feelings that they're having, but it's, it's also, they're very different kinds of feelings, right? Well, like, and, and not just the feelings, but like you, you, you don't have the life experience to not just be a bull in a China shop w right. w with the execution of those feelings. Uh, so you're just gonna, you're just gonna cause a lot of unnecessary pain and that's like inevitable. There's, <laughs> there's no way around it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I, I don't want to hold it against them that they were young. Um, I'm just, I, I guess I'm just pointing out like, Hey, uh, if, if, if I'm, if I'm having screaming matches and not talking to my significant other for two weeks at a time, um, that's a, that's a bad sign. Yeah. I mean, my uh, fights with my wife and, um, in about two minutes of silence. Cause I'm like, I can't not, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was, I was always the person that says sorry first just because that's who i am yeah. my mom said that like if i ever did something wrong the first thing i'd be was like i'm sorry yeah let's just i mean i don't know i think 
maybe you and I are similar in this way. Like it's just, it's just not worth worth it to me to have strife. I'd, I'm just like let's just let's everything be 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 okay and happy, and we'll just yeah yeah. Anyway, the thing I mean the thing I do is like I need to be mad right now. Like I need to go away and be mad, but I'll only be mad for like five minutes, yeah. and then I'll come back and be like, okay, I'm done being mad now. Let's yeah. talk through this. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's healthy, Scott. I think that's a I, healthy relationship. I think so too. The yeah. best relationship is mine. There yeah. we go. That's my answer. Dude, yeah, that's that's my answer too. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm kidding, of course. I would yeah. not declare myself that. I think I think my wife and I have a good relationship. It's not a perfect relationship, but I think we're I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Well, that's it for the discussion questions. Now, this the question for next week will be. Choose an emotional manipulation power in parahumans and discuss what the power says about the character who possesses it. I like this question a lot. Um, I think this is very one of those very intentionally open-ended questions. Take whoever you want and go nuts with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, obvious ties into what we discussed this week, but that I want to use that as a springboard to talk about in general how Wildbo does this uh, with, specifically with the emotional manipulation powers, right? Like we've had yeah. plenty of conversations over time about like oh, the the clever literature literary way in which he uses powers but i just want to talk about specifically emotional manipulation all right uh that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at man- emotional manipulation mordinamail. That's right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. Our schedule this week got all screwed up because I was sick all week. Um, So no other shows besides Worm this week. It just didn't work out for us. But we will be back next week with all kinds of new stuff, um, all of our new shows. So, yeah, go to to, um, doofmedia.com and check out all those different shows. Yeah. Uh, and if you like any of those shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art contests and our yearly costume contest, Q&A sessions with me and Scott, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And speaking of Patreon, uh, special thanks to new bidoofs, Axel, Aisling C, Sam, and uh, Eric V, and Anisha P, all at the $1 level. Uh, that's, that's awesome. A uh, whole, whole bunch of folks this week who I, I hope to yes. see all of you on the Discord, and, and we, we can hang out. Yes. Um, and Doof Troop member Nuke Noodles upgraded to the $10 level. Uh, thanks so much. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, uh, guys. And as always, of course, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well, because this is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. As always, please don't donate if you don't <laughs> if you can't afford it. Um, we love the support you guys give us. We absolutely love it, but we don't want to stress you guys out financially. So um, 
there's tons of other ways you can help us out. You can just share the podcast, spread the word. We don't do marketing, guys. Um, we're looking into possibly finding a way to do some marketing, but we don't do any of it right now. So we kind of rely completely on word of mouth from you guys. So you can help us out by sharing the podcast. You can help us out by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's spotlight review comes from Oren M. from Israel. Um, who gives us five stars and says, really awesome. Highly recommend for anyone who, who enjoyed Enjoys Worm. So short but sweet five-star review from Oren in Israel. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you all of you guys who take the time to give us those rating and reviews. Um, we say this every week, but that's because it's true every week. It really does help us. It, it makes the podcast look more legit. The more reviews you have on iTunes, um, the better the better you look, the more um, interested people are you the higher the chance the chance for you to appear on the charts goes up it's not just based on downloads it really should just be based on downloads but it's not <laughs> it's based on the number of new reviews every week so it really does help us out and we appreciate you guys taking the time to do that and i love matt i love how international uh the parahumans community is and and our our little podcast community is we have several uh listeners from israel and it's just really cool i've never you know known people from israel before yeah yeah me neither you know, one thing I don't think I've ever really said at this part of the show is is like also thank you to those of you who do just like mention our show on Reddit when people are talking about, you know, parahumans or, or mention it to other people who they know uh, enjoy worm uh, like in, in person and just say, hey, maybe you like this. Like uh, j- just in anybody who has who has recommended our show, I like every time I see that or hear about it. Um, I, I really appreciate it. And um, I just am really thankful for, I love for y'all. Yeah. I completely agree. I love it. You know, we see th- those those new threads pop up in the Reddit all the time. Just finished Worm wanted to give you guys my thoughts, which I love that this community exists. And that happens in the community that like every week there's like two or three just finished a book. I need to talk about it with someone. Things. Yeah. Um, and it, it warms my heart that you go into those threads and you see people. Great. Now listen to this podcast about it. Um, I like I think about doing that stuff myself, but like I it's it always feels weird to self promote, you know, like it's yeah. always this this kind of uncomfortable thing, especially on Reddit, like self promotion on Reddit is pretty frowned upon. So it just means so much to us that that we don't have to worry about the the icky feeling about doing that because we have yeah. such loyal listeners that that will do that for us. So, yeah, it, it, it really, really helps. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's absolutely heartwarming and just makes me feel great that, that people would would think like, oh, you know what will enhance your experience of worm is, is this podcast. I'm like, wow, that's incredibly flattering to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for that. Well, I, that's all we got for you this week. And we'll be back next week with some more of Arc 11 blinding. I hope we get more nursery grossness. Me too. You already know.